0: up on a minute and a half remaining in this New Jersey net season. A that team that went 52-30 and 30 during the regular season. Best record of the Eastern Conference. But the Lakers are on their way to a sweep. The
3: important thing for New Jersey is where they
4: go from here. I think it, the next year started in the finals for us when we lost to the Lakers. We all made an agreement that we did not accomplish anything and that we needed to stay hungry And we needed to finish this off. And I thought that was something that to see everybody ready to go that next season, understanding what was at stake, that we came up short and that we wanted to get back. And we knew how hard it is to get back and that we weren't going to be a secret or surprise to anybody. And so to be able to come back that follow on season and everybody was ready to go was really cool.
5: Every season is a new start requiring a fresh commitment. Jason Kidd knew that. That was the kind of drive and ambition he had brought to New Jersey in the first place in the summer of 2001. And the result was the franchise's first trip to the NBA Finals. The Nets had put up the conference's best record, surviving the Pacers and bounced back against the Celtics. The Lakers, with their legendary coach Phil Jackson and the superstar pairing of Kobe Bryant and Shaquille O'Neal, were the only obstacle they couldn't overcome. But the Nets especially had no answer for Shaq, who averaged 36 points in the sweep on the way to his third NBA Finals MVP. With that in mind, Nets general manager Rod Thorne took another big swing in the summer of 2002, trading two starters, center Todd McCulloch and forward Keith Van Horn, to the Philadelphia 76ers for center Dikembe Mutombo. Matumbo had won his fourth Defensive Player of the Year award just a year earlier and was coming off his third All-NBA season. O'Neal had dominated the Nets so thoroughly that Thorne just didn't see a path to taking that next step to a championship without making a change at center. My feeling
6: at the time regarding our team was we weren't going to beat the Lakers if we couldn't defend Shaq at least somewhat. Matumbo was available. We ended up making a trade for him and gave them Keith. We knew that Richard, we could put Richard into Keith's spot and we'd be fine. But it took Richard off the bench where you had a big plus if you could bring Jefferson off the bench. Now we don't have that. If I had to do it over again, I wouldn't do it because I always felt Keith was an underrated player. And when we didn't have him, I knew he was an underrated player. McCullough had, once he went to Philly, he got injured and was no longer a factor. He had real high arches, and his arches were bothering him. And so he was no factor. But had we stayed the way we were, I think we would have made the finals again with that team. And Dikembe got hurt early in the year and was out for almost all the year. We had Aaron Williams and we had Jason Collins, who did the yeoman's work for us. And we were still really good. And Richard came on and was played very, very well for us. But that was, there are times that maybe you outthink yourself. Hey, we kept Keith. That combination of Keith and Kenyon and Jefferson was a heck of a combination and
7: one that we could have gone on for several years with.
5: Brian Scalabrini.
7: Next year, like Rod trades Van Horn and McCulloch for Mutumbo, and that makes all the sense in the world. Like Matumbo has had a history of playing against Shaq and doing a decent job. So if we're thinking Shaquille O'Neal is going to be in the finals, we need to make sure we address that particular situation. So you have everyone kind of growing, like Richard Jefferson coming to his own. You uh KM Martin is becoming like a bona fide star in the league. You got kidd, you got Kittles and everybody, like a lot of things were shored up. I think the confidence of that next year's team was really high. Going into camp, it was high, but it became like apparently clear like the Mutombo-Princeton offense mix was probably not going to work as well as we thought it was going to work.
5: The Nets didn't get much out of Mutombo, who played just 24 games due to injuries. He made it back for the playoffs, but played just 82 minutes in the finals. With McCulligan and Mutombo hurt, second-year center Jason Collins filled the void starting 66 games.
8: When we made the trade for Dekimbe, and we knew, obviously, Dekimbe defensive, you know, Hall of Famer, and and just one of the best defensive centers, we knew it was, it was a huge upgrade at the center position defensively, and we already had an amazing defensive team. Big dip, Todd McCullough is great guy, great human being, great teammate, great person, but Dekimbe offered something that Todd couldn't, and that Dekimbe was just a better defensive player if you're building a team, you look out, if we are going to be successful, who would we meet potentially in the finals? We're going to need a, a strong defensive center.
5: Here's assistant coach Michael O'Carran, who worked closely with the team's big men.
8: Rod's
3: thinking was, let's get Matumbo. If we play the Lakers again in the finals, we have another person who could guard Shaq. You know, that was the reasoning behind that. We had Collins, who, you know, was a rookie to against the Lakers, who had... A whole wealth of experience now again. So we felt going in, we were complete at the center spot.
5: But now they had a hole at the forward spot. So Thorne picked up veteran Rodney Rogers. And with those changes, essentially exchanging McCullough and Van Horn from Matumbo and Rogers, the Nets headed to training camp with an eye on repeating as conference champions and finishing the job. In his rookie year doing play-by-play for the Nets radio, Chris Carino took that magical ride to the finals. Could they do it again?
2: Now is going to be, show us it wasn't a fluke. You know, I think their run to the finals showed everybody that the 52 wins was not a fluke. People were excited about the team going into the following season. They realized some of their shortcomings and they tried to fix them. You know, they trade Keith Van Horn. They bring in Kevin Mutombo. There definitely was a uh, confidence level about that team in that you knew that, hey, we're going to learn from what we did, the experience we had in that whole 102 season, and we're going to use that experience, and now we're not just going to be happy to be in the finals. We want to win an NBA championship. And I don't even think there was pressure. I, I think when you're with the Nets for so long that you, you know what the history is of the team, there was more of an uh, excitement than a pressure. I just felt like they were like, you know what? We, we know how good we are. We showed it last year. We want to do it again. We want to win a championship. That's what the 0 one season did. They walked into the next season with that goal of, we're going to win a championship this year.
5: Back in 1976, the Nets had closed out the ABA era with a second championship in three years. Right before the start of the 1976-77 NBA season, Sports Illustrated put Julius Erving in his iconic Stars and Stripes Nets uniform on the cover with Dave Cowens of the defending NBA champion Boston Celtics. The issue was dated October 25th, 1976. But by that date, Irving was already gone. Dealt to Philadelphia on October 20th, two days before the franchise's first NBA game. So through their first 25 years in the NBA, the Nets had never begun a season the way they did in 2002, carrying the hopes and expectations generated by a trip to the NBA Finals the year before. Rod Thorne.
6: We were a favorite. I think that most of the pundits had us number one in the East, and we were going to win someplace between 50 and 60 games, you know, if everything worked out. So, yeah, we definitely were the favorites.
5: Just like they did the year before, the Nets jumped out to the top of the Atlantic Division. They beat Atlanta on opening night and won their first four games and seven of their first nine. On January 6th, they beat the Hawks again for their 10th straight win. And as they neared the halfway point of the NBA schedule, the Nets were twenty-six and nine. They closed out January with a thirty-two and fourteen record. Mike O'Corn. The difference
3: between those two years was the confidence level was just through the roof now. We had Jason Kidd for a year. We had run the offense, a new offense. So we, coming into training camp that year really didn't have to waste too much time as far as learning it. We would just practice it. And we got better at it. We were just a better team. To two thousand two, two thousand three season. Better all around. Defensively, we were good. You can't put a price tag on what 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 the confidence of a team. We're not cocky. We weren't arrogant, trust me. We were just felt we were good. And if you beat us, you're gonna it was gonna be a tough out for
7: you guys. But you're gonna be in for a heck of a battle. Brian Scalabrini. You know, we got a lot faster with Kenya Martin at the power four, Richard Jefferson at the three. It just became a team that really fit well defensively. We were much better. We added some floppy action where you got Kenya Martin setting a down pick for a Kerry Kittles, but he would slip out and Kid would throw it up. So we just added some wrinkles to it. We were, you know, another year of the the Princeton offense. We just shored up a lot of those things. So we got faster. That's what we did. You insert Richard Jefferson into the starting lineup, you become a lot faster.
5: And that's play by play broadcaster Iron Eagle.
9: And what I saw was the young guys getting better. And then the recognition from RJ in particular, but Kenyon and Kerry that, oh wait, all I have to do is start darting down the floor and Jason Kidd is gonna make an amazing play and I'm gonna get the highlight on my reel. I can do that. They absolutely perfected what they had built in that first year of the New Look Nets. In that second year, it was even more of a, a well-oiled machine. The record wasn't as good. They turned it on, turned it off a little bit during that regular season, and they had just had the long postseason run. But that team was still very lethal.
5: The biggest change turned out not to be Matombo, but the growth of second-year forward Richard Jefferson, who had room for a larger role after Van Horn was traded. The 22-year-old had a breakout year in what turned out to be a 17-year career. Here's Curry Kittles.
10: Richard Jefferson's emergence that year was, I think, the catalyst of that season. Is his second year really taking a leap. He went from being a really good player to being arguably our second-best player behind Jason. You know, Kenyon, he was just that good that second year.
5: Jefferson started all 80 games he played and played more minutes than any net that season besides Jason Kidd averaging 36 a game. His scoring average jumped from nine points a game to 15. He shot 50% and he averaged six rebounds.
11: Ridiculous athlete was perfectly fit into this system, made an immediate contribution to the Nets. He ran the left wing when Kerry Kittles ran the right wing. And this athletic, fast-breaking team was so enjoyable to watch He was the perfect piece of a puzzle to fit in this organization. The pieces fit very, very well together, led by Jason Kidd. But Richard Jefferson, he had made an immediate impact to the New Jersey Nets organization with his unbelievable athleticism, his confidence, his ability to finish. He was an improving shooter, but he was ready on day one. That's what made Richard Jefferson so special. He had the confidence, the talent the athleticism, and he was the perfect fit to run with this organization.
5: That's Nets radio analyst Tim Capstraw. and here's his broadcast partner,
2: Chris Carino. Richard was one of those guys that had a great deal of swagger, but also had this self-awareness about him. You've seen him over the years. You saw him grow into a player that was then able to shoot the ball better, became a three-point shooter, stayed in the league for a long time because of it, ultimately got a ring because of it. Just one of those guys that fit perfectly with that up-tempo, defense-first kind of style that the Nets had that year.
5: These days, RJ's working with Ian Eagle on Nets Yes Network broadcast. Back then, Eagle saw a young player whose attitude was as important to his success as his skills.
9: Richard Jefferson, ultra-athletic. I always felt that he thought that people didn't respect him, and he had to show that he was a player. Every time he went on the floor, he brought some extra stuff with him. And knowing him, getting to know him, not just as a player, but as a person, and later as a colleague, you could see it. He's highly competitive and also fun. He brought a sense of fun to the team, and they needed it. You know, Jason was serious, highly serious. Richard had a way of balancing it out, and he knew. How to get under your skin. And that was not only for guys he was going against, that was for his own teammates.
5: The 2002-2003 season looked a lot like the one before for the Nets. They led the league in defensive rating for the second year in a row. A lot of the other numbers, the steals, the turnovers, the fast break points, looked pretty similar too. The individual scoring was a little more spread out. The year before, Martin had led the Nets with a 14.9 points per game, followed by Van Horn, with a fourteen point eight and kid with a fourteen point seven. It was a remarkable show of balance. This time Kid led the way with eighteen point seven points per game, followed by Martin's sixteen point seven and Jefferson's fifteen point five. But over the second half of the season, things stalled. In their final thirty six games, the Nets went seventeen and nineteen. Something was just a bit off. Here's Rod Thorne. Even before DeKimbe Bantumbo got hurt, it wasn't a great fit
6: for us on the offensive end of the court. We depended on ball movement. We depended on a lot of movement. And and Dikembe was essentially a post-up center. Passing was not his forte. Offensively, we were, I would say, struggling, but we weren't the crisp, passing, cutting team that we were the previous year, even
8: before Matumbo got hurt
5: and Jason Collins, who stepped into that starting center role after the Mutombo injury.
8: So then, you know, the rhythm gets off, and so then the coaches are thinking, okay, do we start Aaron Williams and then move me up to the backup center? But they really liked what A-Train brought to the second unit, so they kept him there and then immediately put me into the starting lineup. And that was an adjustment for me. Before then in the NBA, I think I'd only started one other game and that was the Charlotte game, my rookie year. So it was a matter of just getting used to being a starter and getting used to adjusting to that, because that that is an adjustment even for a young player in the NBA.
5: One thing was not in question: the surprise team from the year before was now the front runner in the East. They were better known, and they were a bigger target.
2: Here's Chris Carino. I do know this: that teams were coming after them a little bit more that year. I think they might have taken people by surprise in 0102. No one was surprised anymore in 0203. They knew they had to bring their best game and a lot of them did against the Nets that year.
5: And Curry Kittles,
10: I thought what happened was teams were kind of figuring us out a little bit offensively. That was definitely taking place. That was one of the factors, but I also thought that we were sure of ourselves by that point. There was a big sample size now. You're talking about a year and a half of togetherness and team culture and chemistry. And we, at times, were able to flip that switch early on in that season, and we hit that lull. I had a little bit of an injury that year. I was out for a couple games. I had a little sprain or whatever. We were banged up a little bit that year, but we figured it out. We were able to flip the switch. Even though our record wasn't great, we knew what we were capable of.
5: Much like the year before, when nobody was sure if the Nets were for real, the doubts were outside the locker room, not inside. Jason Kidd.
4: I think we clinched so early, in that year that we shut the engines off almost completely in that second half of the season and there were starting to be questions especially from our coaching staff that you just can't flip the switch and I think that's what gave us again when we talk about character we were being questioned that we couldn't do something I think we showed that we could turn the switch on and that we kind of ran through the playoffs pretty quickly.
5: The Nets spent the second half of the season in a battle with Indiana and Detroit for the East top seed. They finished second in the conference at 49-33, a game behind the Pistons and a game ahead of the Pacers and Sixers. That put them into the first-round matchup against the seven-seeded Milwaukee Bucks, led by Ray Allen. They split the first four games and came back to New Jersey for Game 5, tied at two games apiece. In a game with 14 ties and 14 lead changes, they were even at 61 to start the fourth quarter. Kittles made three three three-pointers in the fourth, and the third put the Nets ahead for good. The 89-82 win turned out to be the start of a 10-game winning streak that drove the Nets straight back to the NBA Finals. They finished off the Bucs in six, then swept the Celtics and Pistons. Here's Tim Capstraw.
11: They turned it on. The playoffs, they began to be a dominant team again and they were able to really get after it and find their their attack mode and their domination again once they got into the playoffs. After
5: closing out Milwaukee, the Nets were set up for a playoff rematch with the Celtics, who had fallen to the sixth seed but knocked off Indiana in the first round. A year earlier, the Nets had suffered a stunning Game 3 defeat in the Eastern Conference Finals as the wild Boston crowd rained down abuse. Afterwards, Jason Kidd delivered a message to the devastated locker room We are never losing to these guys again. The Nets responded by winning the final three games of the series to get to the NBA Finals. Faced with the Celtics again, they kept kids' word. The sweep made it seven straight playoff wins against Boston over two seasons. The Boston Celtics are beaten and the New Jersey Nets advance their first playoff series sweep in
0: history. The final score in double overtime, the Nets, 110 the Celtics, 101. Character and endurance, Jason Kidd played
5: 53 minutes tonight. The New Jersey Nets sweep the Celtics winning by a score of
11: 110 to 101. Here's Tim Capstraw. I think going to Boston had something to do with it. Everybody's talking about, like, people catch a little bit of stuff from the crowd now these days and how you react. Jason Kidd put out a clinic on how to react to negativity from a crowd. The crowd would be all over him. And again, you could see it in his eyes. That made him and his teammates become a dominant team, in my opinion. I watched it. I witnessed it. I heard it from the crowd. And the moment they were harassing him at incredible levels, he would then dominate the game. I think the attitude and the approach of going up to Boston impacted things. I really do. I mean, it's an interesting way to look at it. But it was hostile. It was uncomfortable. It just got Jason Kidd to another level, and it got his teammates that so believed in him, and he was the leader that got them to another level also. The
5: sweep of the Celtics set the Nets up for a return to the Eastern Conference Finals. This time, somebody else had the number one seed and home court advantage. But the Nets won the first two games in Detroit by two points each, with Kidd hitting a game-winning jumper to start the series. Kidd now starts to move with seven
0: seconds remaining in regulation. Kidd, the jumper to win it. He got it! Jason Kidd has just sat everybody back down at the Palace. 1.2 seconds left. He hits the biggest shot of the day. Looking at that shot clock is Jason Kidd. Chauncey Billups on him when it got to about 7.2. He said, here we go. And he didn't try to set up anybody else. He took it to the corner, threw a double team, up and over one, and buries the biggest shot by far of the ballgame. And New Jersey has stolen one. They have swiped the home court advantage from the Detroit Pistons.
5: Back in New Jersey, Nets were in control from the start to the finish of games 3 and 4. Kid had 26 points, 12 rebounds, seven assists, and two steals in the clincher—a 20-point Game Four rout. The team that had shocked the NBA a year earlier and battled its way to the finals was now a dominant playoff team. Iron Eagle.
9: It was an amazing run. It's rare that you get to this point in professional sports where you walk into an arena and you know what's going to happen. You just know it. They were playing that well. And they were that much better than the competition. Detroit eventually won a championship with that group. So that was a terrific Pistons team. They made mincemeat out of them. The Celtics, they were still feeling the effects of what happened the year before. And I remember prior to that series, a lot of talk of revenge on the Boston side and things are going to be different. No, if they were different, it was just worse for the Celtics. The Nets were so locked in. And at that point, you started to believe that they could win a championship, no matter who the Western Conference representative was going to be.
8: Here's Jason Collins. We were cruising. And again, we were playing with so much confidence. And it really did. It was one thing to go into the playoffs knowing that you could turn on the switch, but it's another thing to actually do it. <laughs> and then like, so that's like, so you have confidence, and then it's like added confidence. And like, it's, it becomes like the swagger that you're, you're walking around with as a, as a player and as, as a team that we have a squad, and our squad is going to beat your squad.
5: And Aaron Williams.
12: We believe in ourselves. We do. It's not a mystery. We don't have to find our chemistry or figure out what we do well and figure out who can do what. At this point, we pretty much know. All the work we put in the past two years, I think we were just getting better and better as a team, and I think our chemistry was just getting better and better. We were adding little pieces here and there. Everything was just fitting well, and we were doing well. Like I said before, we we played every game with a chip on our shoulder. When you have guys like Jay Kidd, who you know are gonna give it every night, offensively and defense, Kenya Martin. His energy, the toughness he brings, it's contagious. We all feed off of it, so when we get rolling, we expect to win these games. Obviously, no one's gonna win every game. We expect to win every game. We're a better team, and. Things just fell in line for us, and um, we won our little run.
0: They are the back-to-back NBA Eastern Conference champions for the second straight year. The New Jersey Nets are going to the finals. Byron Scott, another marvelous job. He said one quarter at a time, one game at a time. They didn't want to just steal one from Rick Carlisle's Pistons in Detroit. They wanted to find a way to take two. They took two on two two two-point games that went down to the final second and a half. Then they came back home and played their game on Thursday in game three, 97-85. They definitely played their game again tonight. Oh, the better team won, the deeper team won, the more experienced team
5: won. And this is the team that wanted to make a point of getting back to the finals. The Nets had closed the regular season with a 17-19 record in their last 36 games. They were tied 2-2 two two with Milwaukee going into the fourth quarter of Game 5. Now they were rolling into the finals with the momentum of a 10-game winning streak.
2: Here's Chris Carino. Their toughest fight was Milwaukee, and once they got through that, I mean, I was—I don't want to say I was surprised, but to just blow through Boston and Detroit, they were amazing. They were amazing. They, they, they had learned from the year before and took no prisoners in those series, won 10 games in a row going back to the first round series, and set themselves up to really challenge the San Antonio Spurs in a way that I don't think people really thought they could.
5: And this time, they knew what they were walking into. The first trip to the finals had been a shock throughout the organization for players and staff who had just not been in that situation before. Now they were ready for the on- and off-court pressures that came with playing for a championship. Here's Jason Kidd.
4: I think when we got to the finals, we uh, really got, in L.A., we got to understand what it was all about and distractions. And so I think when you look at going back and now playing San Antonio, we were prepared. We had the answers to the test, and we were really excited about this opportunity of playing um, and being back in the finals, understanding how hard it was, but also to understand that we really believed that we had a
5: chance to win. And Curry Kittles.
10: We were definitely comfortable, I think. From a media perspective, the bright lights, being on that stage. And I thought that we felt as a group that we matched up well against the Spurs. And we felt like we had an opportunity to win that series. The year before, we knew it was going to be tough to beat the Lakers. Shaq and Kobe were just that good. But against the Spurs, we were like, hey, we had the Kimbe. He's going to be in there making it tough for Tim and for, for David. And the rest of the group, we like our chances. So there was definitely a comfort factor there.
5: On the court, the biggest reason for optimism was that the Nets wouldn't be dealing with the giant that had dominated them a year earlier. Accounting for Shaquille O'Neal had driven Rod Thorne's summer moves, but Shaq wasn't on the menu this time. Here's Aaron Williams.
12: I think we felt more confident because we weren't playing Shaq and Kobe. <laughs> Shaq is just a, a mountain of a man and just incredible talent and forced to be reckoned with. Not to take anything away from Tim Duncan, who does things a little differently, but gets the job done just as well. But it's not that sheer brute force that you have to deal with that's going to put you in foul trouble every night. So I think we came into it a lot more confident, for sure.
5: And Rod Thorne. My
6: feeling uh, was regarding the San Antonio series that we had a great chance to play them. We had played them tough for the last several years. We had always played them tough. And they didn't have Shaq, but they had Duncan. And then Tim Duncan is, you know, the best power forward ever and one of the best players ever.
5: Duncan was coming off his second straight MVP season. The year before, he had edged out Jason Kidd for the award in one of the closest votes in history to that point. The Admiral, David Robinson, was in his last NBA season. But the other three future Hall of Famers on the roster had another decade of excellence and multiple championships ahead of them. Duncan was 26 years old, point guard Tony Parker was 20, and Manu Ginobili was a rookie. Duncan dominated Game 1 with 32 points and 20 rebounds, but the Nets got a split in San Antonio after Kidd scored 30 points in Game 2 and locked up an 87-85 win by scoring the Nets' final seven points in the last minute and 15.
0: They play Duncan straight up. He takes it over Collins and got the roll. The mm-hmm. Jersey's at 72, 59 and 70. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They need more than that. Kid, to Jefferson
5: and oh, Robinson blocks the shot.
0: Kenyon Martin and the Nets lead. Collins inside, blocked by Duncan. And then is in there. He's got it against Tim Duncan. Mutombo oh, oh, under and got it. <laughs> <laughs> Gets it back to Matumbo. hook, a Got it. Duncan, a little bit short, but got it back and made sure. Robinson, baseline. Blocked by Matumbo again. Martin to Jefferson, and Jefferson's got it. 20 to play. Try to tie the series in a game apiece. Kid. Top shot off the glass. Robinson, and the Nets have survived it. They won it.
5: They win it on the road. Back in New Jersey, they traded wins again the Nets held on to a 77-76 Game 4 win. Kenya Martin made the go-ahead free throws with just over a minute to go, and Kidd sealed the game at the line just as he had in Game 2. They were tied at two wins apiece. With the old 2-3-2 playoff schedule, the Nets would be home for Game 5 with a chance to take the lead in the series. Here's Chris Carino.
2: It's still the closest they've ever been to a championship in franchise history. I remember losing game one, but thinking, you know what, the Nets can play with them. I remember game one of the finals thinking, well, they lost, but they can play with them. And then you have Jason Kidd, and you always have a chance. That was just a tough, defensive, low-scoring game in game two, and the Nets even the series at one, and then split the first games three and four, and then it was a 2-3-2, so game five was in the lands and they had a chance to win and go up.
5: But Duncan repeated his game one dominance with 29 points, and 17 rebounds. The Nets shot 35%, and the Spurs took control of the game with a 14-3 run to finish the third quarter. Here's Rod Thorne.
6: We are 2-2, and in the fifth game, it was one of those playoff games where nobody can make a shot. And the game is going on and on and on, and we're right there, but we cannot make shots. We shot 30-some percent in the game, and we just couldn't make shots. The coup de grace, we're down a couple points, and Duncan, you know, we have to double-team him because we can't stop him one-on-one, and he makes a pass out to Steve Kerr, who makes an open shot, and that sort of did a sense. And Jason Kidd. When you look at Game 5, you
4: know, it's 2-2, and this is a swing game, and we've talked about the importance of swing games. And we really believed at home that that this is what we wanted, to be able to protect Hall 3-2. And we felt like, look, we've already shown we can win a game on the road. So we got two opportunities in game six or seven to win and to let game five get away from us. Put us in a bad situation going to San Antonio where you had to win both.
0: Five on the shot clock. Jefferson will go deep. Got it. Kid from 16, and he knocks it down. Jefferson hammers it home. Six on the shot clock. Kittle's will try to quiet him, and he does. Oh, oh, oh. Kid for three. Big shot for Jason Kid. The Kittle's is wide open for three, and he hit it. Here comes Kid and Kittle's. Kittle's all the way. Jason Kid makes it a 10-point game again. Back. Oh, Genobly with a steal. He picked Jefferson's pocket and stuffed it. Duncan gives it up. Jackson for the first lead. Got it! It's getting a little loud in here. It's all falling apart for the Nets. The Spurs lead by 10. A 19-0 run by San
5: Antonio. It was a tough task, but going into the fourth quarter of Game 6 in San Antonio, the Nets looked like they were on course to force a decisive Game 7 to get themselves one win away from a championship. The Nets led for 41 minutes of game time. They were up by 10 early in the fourth quarter. The Spurs didn't lead at all until Stephen Jackson's three-pointer with 6.30 to go. But Jackson's go-ahead shot came in the middle of a five-minute scoreless stretch for the Nets. The Spurs outscored them 31-14 in the fourth quarter and won 88-77. to It was a much different series than the sweep against the Lakers a year ago, But the bottom line was the same. Championship dreams had come up short. Here's Rod Thorne.
6: We lead the game the whole way. We're playing great. You know, we're up 9, 10 points going into the fourth quarter, and we've been up as many as 50, 60 during the game. In the fourth quarter, with about six minutes to go, they start really playing. Stevie Jackson, who had played for us, As a big fourth-quarter scoring. And Duncan, as I recall, was 30 points, 20-some rebounds in the game, was unbelievably good. And they came back late and ended up beating us.
5: And Tim Capstro broadcasting the finals in his first season as part of the Nets radio team.
11: Uh, I can tell you the last game because it sticks out in my brain. Game six is what I can recall so vividly down in San Antonio because the Nets had a significant lead in the second half. They even had a lead, a 10-point lead, in the beginning of the fourth quarter. And they were really playing at a very high level. They were defending. They were forcing turnovers. They were getting out. And obviously, Jason Kidd was doing his thing. Richard Jefferson playing well. Kerry Kittles played at at a very high level in that game also. And then it just all fell apart. About the seven- or eight-minute mark of the fourth quarter, I remember wondering why Kerry Kittles wasn't back into the game. He had played, he had had 16, 17 points at that time. He didn't come out, he didn't start the fourth quarter, but then he usually come in and, and he didn't for a while. And we were wondering where he was and Jefferson was, but it was more just the way San Antonio turned it up. Their interior defense, their size, and the Nets got stagnant offensively. They weren't able to turn over. The San Antonio Spurs, the, like they were the, for the majority of the game, they weren't able to get out and run off misses. Got into a half-court game, and uh, San Antonio just pulled away, but it wasn't the usual suspects. Steven Jackson making threes, Speedy Claxton making shots, along, of course, with the dominance of Duncan and David Robinson. Kittles
5: had scored 16 points in the first three quarters, but didn't get back into the game in the fourth until there were just over five minutes left. Assistant coach Mike O'Koran.
3: We probably should have got Kerry Kills back in that game. He was a great shooter, especially from three-point range, but we kept him out probably too long. You could look back at that and and kick yourself. You know, you could have done a lot of things, I'm sure.
5: The Nets have won their two games in the series by a combined three points, but that was good enough to keep them even through four games with a chance to take the series lead at home. Even after they dropped Game 5, they had that 10-point fourth-quarter lead in Game 6. They just couldn't close the deal. Here's Jason Kidd.
4: Look at the opportunity that we had in Game 5 and Game 6. It put us in a great seat to win a championship, and it was a missed opportunity.
5: And Aaron Williams.
12: Somebody like just wasn't meant to be. you know. And Tim Duncan, he's a Hall of Fame top-ten player in his own right. And uh, Ginobili and Tony Parker, nothing to sneeze at. They know how to play. They have a system. Coach Pop might be the best coach in, in history of the league, arguably. We put up a fight, but um, we just couldn't get over the hump.
5: Brian
7: Scalabrini. I thought in game six, that was the game that we should have won. I fully understand the greatness of Jason Kidd. At the time, it's my second year in the NBA. I do not understand the greatness of Tim Duncan. I understand he's a good player, but after playing him in that series, you start to realize how good he was. And I'll tell you how. You're the Nets. You're on a run. You make three transition buckets. You owe a 6-0 run. Like, this thing's about to break open. Popovich has his offense, his weak, his second side, all that stuff. He runs punch. Punch to Tim Duncan. Punch to Tim Duncan is a bucket. It's going to be a bucket or a free throw for him. And so when he would do that, it made me finally understand the NBA from this standpoint. There's one point, two points, and three points, right? But not all one point, two points, and three points are created equal. There are bigger moments in games. I can't say I knew that at the time, but after that series, I fully understood that. Normal coach would have to burn a timeout to kind of get momentum back. Popovich, all he had to do was give the ball to Tim Duncan. So Tim Duncan will get, you know, 18 points, but like 14 will be like crazy pivotal moments where you had to get. And then outside of that, the dude would just reverse the ball, set screens, and crash the glass. Another thing I recognize is the ability to be a shot blocker without blocking shots, where you could challenge dudes at the rim and make them miss, and then somehow, some way come down and get the defensive board. That is a challenge in and of itself, and there's not a lot of guys that could do that. It took me watching that series to realize like, that Tim Duncan is an all-time great.
9: Nets broadcaster Ian Eagle. Unfortunately, you, you look back on uh, some of the opportunities that were lost and chances that they had in that series to really make a statement, and it was winnable. It was winnable. Game six was one of the toughest losses that you will ever experience as a team, with what was on the line, with the hope of forcing a game seven, you never know what happens in a game seven. You never know. You never know how guys are going to respond. But you have to get there first. Nets had a huge lead, and it dissipated, and it got away from them. And their championship hopes got away from them as well.
5: The chase for the third straight trip to the finals and the elusive championship came up short in 2004. The Nets won the Atlantic Division for the third straight year and swept the Knicks in the first round of the playoffs, but they lost a seven-game series to Detroit in the second round. A triple overtime win in Game 5 put them up three games to two in the series, but that was the last game they would win that season. The Pistons went on to beat the Pacers in the conference finals and then shocked the Lakers in five games for the title. Here's Chris Carino.
2: That 4 team, The Pistons ended up winning the championship that year. Lakers were ready to be beaten in the final. The Nets took the Pistons to seven games, and they win a game five in triple overtime. But Jason Kidd walked on the bus. He could hardly walk on the bus after the game, and his knee was shot. And a lot of it had to do with having to play three overtimes that night in game five. And they get beat in game six, get blown out in game seven. But that's how close you were. Chauncey Billups had a half-court shot to force overtime. You realize what a small margin it is all the time. Maybe the Nets get through that series. Maybe Kid is a little healthier because he has to play three overtimes that night. Maybe they win the championship. Alonzo Mourning was on that team, was injured and couldn't play, but he might have been the guy that helped them get over the edge against the Pistons. My first year in the finals, there's a longtime NBA PR guy, Brian McIntyre, who came up to me at one point in the press room during one of the finals games and said, you know, I was the youngest broadcaster in the league at that time. And he said, You know, Chris there are guys that work in this business 30, 40 years, never get to do the games you're doing right now. Don't take it for granted. I nodded. I said, absolutely. I understand what you're saying. And then we got back to the finals the next year and I saw Brian again. I said, I'm still not taking it for granted. You think you're always going to have that opportunity. Same thing with players. You know, you get there and you get so close and you think you're always going to have an opportunity. And then injuries, contracts, free agency, coaching changes, ownership changes, that was a big deal, too, is that ownership changed hands and the direction of the franchise started to have different priorities. And you, you realize you can never take it for granted when you get so close because there's a fine line. When you get close, you got to savor it. you got to go after it with all you can because you never know when you're going to get that opportunity again.
5: The Nets won another division title in 2006 and pushed their playoff string to six straight seasons. But the core group for the runs to the final never again got past the second round. Byron Scott was fired during the 2003-2004 season, which was the last with the Nets for both Kenyon Martin and Curry Kittles.
10: By far the two most overall my best years in the NBA. I have best experience of being on those two teams, those two championship runs. That was fun basketball. It was fun to be a part of it. We knew that we were a fun team to watch play because our style was so different. We played together. We were a a unit, a group. We very rarely had any issues in the locker room. It was, I mean, we all got along across the board. We had a lot of fun with the coaching staff. They're long seasons and you're playing until June. October to June is a long time, man. No, it was very, very memorable moments for me as a professional basketball player.
5: GM Rod Thorne made a big move to retool the team when he traded for Vince Carter in December of 2004 using some of the picks he acquired for Martin. But he had to include Aaron Williams in that deal as well.
12: Probably my two favorite years playing in the NBA, especially the first year, no one expected us to win. Just the way that we all came together as a team and the chemistry, they're all great guys. Every last one of them are great guys. It's not too often you can say that about teams. You always have a couple guys who are knuckleheads. Literally, from 115, all the guys are really great guys. And I think that contributed to our, our success. Winning is a lot more fun than losing. Whenever you're winning, that makes things better also. But it was just fun playing with those guys. It was an honor playing with those guys. Some of the best years of my life, for sure.
5: It was a team that came together with no expectations, developed a beautiful, exciting style, and
11: took the franchise to new heights. Here's Tim Capstraw. The puzzle fit perfectly for those two, three years. That was the perfect fit. I think guys like Kerry Kittles or even Kenyon Martin, Richard Jefferson had big seasons also, but I don't think anybody ever played better than when they played with Jason Kidd. And I think that was and when he was focused and he was determined and they were playing up-tempo basketball that really suited their games and running the floor after playing great defense. That's where those pieces of the puzzle were just so perfect. And I an eagle.
9: They changed the whole perception of the franchise. I knew that they could get the attention of people, even though New Jersey at that point just did not ever pop in the NBA. They were always an afterthought. And it was the first time that I remember a real interest in the Nets, that stretch was such a breakthrough. And when you travel around the country, I do multiple sports. It was the first time that people started asking me about the Nets. They never really were very curious about the team. And that team did enough to capture the imagination of basketball fans and created enough curiosity that you had to pay attention to them. And prior to that, nobody did. So they really did put the franchise on the map in many ways.
5: The final word goes to the man who changed everything for the Nets, Jason Kidd.
4: It was just a point in my career it was probably the best basketball that I've played in that stretch of time. And to be able to win division titles, to be able to go to the Eastern Conference finals twice and win it, and then go to the finals and come up short, it was just a foundation. I thought if we could keep things together, Maybe we would have won a championship in there. But again, with the business of basketball, sometimes it gets in the way and things change. But it was an incredible part of basketball, my life, and I wouldn't trade that in for anything.
1: to start listening.